Well, this week we're looking at personal transformation, and uh, essentially we're asking the question, what does it mean to become whole people in the presence of others? What does it mean to be shaped into wholeness and into maturity and into the fullness uh, of who we are meant to be in the presence of other people? Um, we, we know when we've been alive long enough that we cannot become whole people on our, on our own by ourselves in solitude. And in fact, if we just make some simple observations about how we are shaped as people, um, we see that we are profoundly shaped by the larger social environments that we choose to participate in. Profoundly shaped. And so it's right and good for us to ask the question, how does personal transformation take place in a community, in, a, uh, in the presence of others? Um, and so we're going to answer that question uh, from, from uh, this account in John 13. But before we do that, I want to look at two different circles that have already shaped us before we even came in this morning, two different circles that we have operated in that has had a profound impact on who we are as people today. Um, the first circle that many of us uh, have found ourselves in, we, a lot of us were either born into or we found ourselves in. We did not choose to go there. And that is what I'll call the circle of condemnation. The circle of condemnation is a social space where your flaws are noticed and picked apart. They're pointed out by other people. Your weaknesses are exposed in the circle of condemnation. And your messes, your personal messes, are highlighted and brought into the open and called out by other people. Other people in the circle, they, they point out your flaws, they point out your weaknesses, not to help you, but to shame you. Not to help you, but to shame you. Or harass you, or, or try to change your behavior, try to get you to conform. When they do, when other people are able to find weaknesses in you, pick them out, call them out, it makes them feel better. Their, their, their ranking in the circle of condemnation goes up while yours goes down. I'll tell you about uh, a, a circle of condemnation I found myself in when I was around 10 years old. And I fully processed this, so just know, okay, <laughs> I fully processed this. Um, I was in Little League, uh, around, I was like 9 or 10. And it was one of the first organized sports I'd ever played. And, um, and you know what? I wasn't very good. I didn't have strong athletic ability, and um, uh, I was smaller than most of the other people on the team, and, and in, just in the league writ large. And so um, uh, I was also learning the skills of baseball. I was learning basic things like how do you lean into a pitch instead of flinching when it comes past you. Um, and uh, when do you swing? And one of my only advantages was the fact that I, because I was shorter, I had a very small strike zone. <laughs> and so, you know, whenever I'd get up to bat, they'd always be like, going for a walk, going for a walk, you know. Yeah, of course I'm going for a walk. It's my strategic advantage. Um, and so, um, on one such occasion, I did get on base, um, and, um, and then I was, so I, I was on first base which really like only increases the anxiety because then like you're a potential run and so how you how you perform uh, once you're on base is, is is almost more important than when you're up to bat and so um, someone hit someone got a hit and so it was my turn to run to second base but the thing is they were gonna throw me out and so I went to slide but see I wasn't confident enough to really go for the slide because you really have to trust that the slides gonna work and so I hedged and I landed on my knees. 
and I slid to second base on my knees. Now, the circle of condemnation was all around me. It was more of a diamond because it was baseball, but if you include the dugouts, it's kind of a circle. And there was just jeers. There was just, there was laughter. There was, on my team, part of my teammates, there was groaning. On the part of the, the other team, there, there was jeers. And I remember someone called out, he slid on his knees. What an idiot. Again, I fully processed this, so I'm comfortable enough. I'm just trying to show how emotionally healthy I am, okay? Um, so, okay. So what happens in the circle of condemnation? People find out your flaws, and then they give you a name. They name you after your weaknesses. And they connect your identity, who you are in your core, with what you did or didn't do, what you can or can't do. You're given a name. So, what names have you been given in the course of your life? Maybe for you it wasn't the baseball diamond. Maybe for you it was the dinner table. That's where you got your names. That's where you got your condemnation. That's, maybe that's where your weaknesses were exposed. Or maybe it was the classroom. Or maybe it was the gym. Or maybe it was the cheerleading squad. Or maybe it was your fraternity. Where did you get your name that called out your weakness? Where were your weaknesses exposed when you didn't want them to be exposed? When you didn't choose for them to be exposed? When were you less than? That's the circle of condemnation. And it shapes us, doesn't it? It shapes us. We have, to, we have to process it. We have to get over it. Some of us never get over it. Some of us right now, we're in a workplace that feels very much like a circle of condemnation. We're in a social space, a cultural space, where there's always flaws being pointed out, where there's always weaknesses being exposed, where it's a zero-sum game. And that's really what's going on in the circle of condemnation. It's a zero-sum game. If I'm going to win, you've got to lose. And that zero-sum game is based off of arbitrary standards for human behavior. Arbitrary, socially constructed standards about what does it look like to win, what does it look like to lose. In some circles, it's academic competence. In other circles, it's, it's physical appearance. Um, in other circles, it's power. How much power do you have or not have? Zero-sum game based on arbitrary standards. If I'm going to win, you're going to lose, vice versa. And it shapes us. So, in order to survive, what do you got to do? In the circle of condemnation, if you're going to survive, you got to hide your flaws. You got to hide your weaknesses, keep them tucked away, compensate or overcompensate for them with, with your strengths, or persecute others. Now, if you find your way through that circle, and, and most of us have, you get to the second circle, which is a much better place, and I'll call this the circle of affirmation. The circle of affirmation. In the circle of affirmation, you are loved and appreciated for who you are. There is a fundamental acceptance and appreciation for you and others in the circle. Just fundamentally, there's an a priori assumption you are welcome here, you are appreciated here, you are loved here. Instead of flaws being a, a sign of weakness, flaws are actually a badge of honor in the circle of affirmation. And instead of other people calling out your flaws and weaknesses, you get to share them when you're ready. When you're in a place of trust, you get to share your flaws, and other people cover them by saying, that's good about you, and, and in fact, that draws me closer to you. Um, and, and that's a war scar that unites us. 
So flaws become badges of honor. They become war scars that, that, that bind us together. And we share our vulnerabilities of our own volition rather than having other people point them out in order to shame us. There's this really cool uh, community book exchange in Rogers Park. I, I forget which street it's on, but I was, I was uh, walking down a Rogers Park street one day and I noticed there was just the shelf of books and it was, hey, take a book, but, but leave a book. It was, com- it was a community book exchange and it was just in good faith. We're offering you books in good faith that you're going to pick up a book and out of the oxytocin flowing through your body, you're just going to put a book on the shelf and let other people read the book that you have. And, um, and it's kind of a community exchange. And in a circle of affirmation, that, that's the way it works with grace. It's the self-generated grace. In good faith, I offer you grace and affirm you in your flaws and in your weaknesses and who you are. And then in turn, you, you are welcome to affirm me. And you're awesome. No, 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 you're awesome. No, you're special. No, 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 you're special. Um, and, uh, and you know what? Uh, it's, really, it's a really wonderful thing to go from a circle of condemnation to a circle of affirmation. And it's actually, if you're in the circle of affirmation, you're more likely to grow. Although, depending on our temperament, we're drawn to one or the other. Um, so in the circle of affirmation, brokenness becomes specialness. Um, now, having been in both circles, I clearly advocate for the circle of affirmation. It's actually, um, I was talking with some people in the congregation about um, the, the um, social psychologist, Virginia Satir, who really unpacked what this looks like in a family. Healthy families are much more the circle of affirmation than circle of condemnation. More likely to grow, more likely to flourish when there's an assumption of you're welcome here and um, you're loved, despite your flaws. Um, but... But, but, in the circle of affirmation, underneath the kindness, which is a virtue, and underneath the patience, which is a, which is a good virtue, there is a despair over, I'm never going to really change, and neither are you. There's really never going to be change. I'm not really ever going to be complete, and so... Um, all I can really do is just affirm you and you affirm me in my incompleteness and, and to, to celebrate it really, to call, to call our incompleteness strengths, to praise our incompleteness, to praise our flaws as strengths. Um, and it's actually, you know, it's refreshing at first, but after a while it can become kind of discouraging. That affirmation after affirmation after affirmation never truly sticks like the names from the circle of condemnation. There's sometimes never enough affirmation to cover over uh, the condemnation that we got earlier on. It's never enough. It's like filling up a gas tank, but there's just these, the holes are just too big to get that gas tank full. There's always needs to be more. It's never quite enough, and it isn't enough to simply be affirming of one another. What's interesting is that the circle of condemnation and the circle of affirmation are both trying to solve the same problem, aren't they? They're both trying to solve the problem of completion, a need for human completion, a need for a self. Um, The circle of condemnation, you try to find yourself through achievement, through being better than others. In the circle of affirmation, you find a self through affirmation. And what's interesting is that both 
the circle of affirmation and the circle of condemnation have capacity to both condemn, to be both condemning and affirming. It just they just have different standards, don't they? Because if you're in the circle of affirmation and you're not affirming, you receive some of the strongest condemnation ever. Hey, you're not allowed to be in this circle unless you're affirming like us. It's just a different standard. And in the circle of condemnation, you can be affirming, you just have to live up to whatever standard is whatever it is, whether it's whether it's um, academic or physical or um, psychological, whatever it might be, it's just a different standard. Both have the capacity to affirm uh, you, both have the capacity to condemn you, and in neither case is the problem really solved of how do I become a self? How do I become a complete human being who, am I, who I was made to be? Now, in John 13, Jesus isn't going to invite us to a third circle. It's really wonderful if you can move to an affirming environment, but we're not meant to stay there. Jesus wants us to move to, to a third circle, which is what we'll call the circle of transformation. The circle of transformation. A circle of transformation is created. It happens when Jesus invades either a condemnation circle or an affirmation circle, when he invades one of those circles with the holy presence of God. When he comes to invade one of those islands around which we are huddled around ourselves, either our standards or our niceness, and he comes right into the middle of that circle with the very holiness of God, and he suddenly changes our orientation, suddenly we have something to fix our eyes on, which is God's perfect holiness. In the circle of condemnation, we're huddled around each other's performance. In the circle of affirmation, we're huddled around each other's positivity. But in the circle of transformation, we huddle around the living God. John 13.3 says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Jesus was an embodiment of the holiness of God. He had come from the fellowship of the Trinity. He had come from the fellowship of the Holy, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he was going back into that fellowship. But before he did, he was going to create a circle of transformation by going right into the middle of the disciples and showing them what the character of God looks like. It was not a fun experience for them. It was a foreign experience for them but it was a transforming experience for them. Jesus comes up to Peter, and having taken his outer garments off, having taken on a towel, the, the towel of a servant, he knelt at Peter's feet and took Peter's smelly feet and began to wash his feet. And Peter was upset about this because it... Uh, it turned over all of the social rules that Peter was used to, which is that the lowliest person was the one who takes people's stinky feet and, and, and cleanses them. And this was a very necessary thing to do in the ancient world, um, as there was uh, no, um, uh, no road cleaning and sewage systems that we have, which makes everything nice and wonderful. There was not regular showers, there was not regular baths, and so Feet were incredibly sneaky, incredibly awful, and so it was the lowest status person that was supposed to clean feet, not the highest status person. And so it really bothered Peter because Jesus was messing up his social order. And so he says, uh, he says, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. 
not you. You're not going to wash my feet. That's not how this works. It can't be this upside-down situation. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, he says this, um, well, he says in verse 7, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but you will understand. And he's saying, there will be uh, an event called the cross, and that will completely upend your understanding um, of the character of God and my mission. And Peter says, um, um, you shall never wash my feet. No, I reject this arrangement. I reject this upending of the social order. You will never wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is interpreting, he's using the foot washing actually as a symbol of the cross. The cross, as Jesus is, is teaching it here and in the rest of John, the cross is like a bath, a cleansing bath for every human soul. And it's meant to be an exchange between our sinfulness and God's holiness. God takes on our sinfulness. God takes on our incompleteness. He actually takes our flaws into himself. And in exchange, he gives us the holiness of God. And he transforms us in the process. I remember when I was a few years after that, you know, Little League experience, um, I was, my first job was working on a farm. And um, one of the things that we would do is we would take these bags of compost that, uh, it was like bags of leaves that had been rotting under um, rain and snow, rotting in plastic bags for like an entire winter. And the spring we would take them out and we would get knee deep in these and we would rip these open. We would put our hands deep in the compost and the mold and, um, and we would spread them out over all the crops. And um, it was really effective for growing, for growing um, fruits and vegetables, but it, but it, it, it left me more dirty than I've ever been in my entire life before or after. Um, and I would come home and just completely need a shower, completely need a bath. But there was something interesting that would happen when I would wash my hands or when I would shower after a day like this. When the water would hit my hands or when the water would hit my body, it would instantly turn this greenish-brown color. And I couldn't see that greenish-brown color just looking at my hand or looking at my body. I could see some dirt. I could see some things that needed to be washed away. But it just struck me that instantly the water, as it hit my body, became... It took on this grotesque color, and I had no idea that was in me. I had no idea that had gone so deep. I had no idea that I needed a shower that much. I knew I, knew I needed some kind of washing, but I didn't know what a fundamental washing I needed. When Jesus took on our sin, when he was laid out on the cross, it was an honest display of what our sin actually is. It was an honest display of how deep our brokenness goes. It's way worse than we thought it was, even in the circle of condemnation. It's way worse than we slide to second base on our knees. It goes so much deeper than that. Our anger goes so much deeper than we think it does. Our, our lust goes so much deeper than we think it does. Our bitterness towards others and lack of forgiveness goes so much deeper than we think it does. Our pride and need to be recognized by other people goes so much deeper than we think it does. And what happens is, Jesus says, I want to wash you. But in the process of washing you, it's going to come out. I even love this, this, this interchange between Peter and Jesus because as soon as Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share in me, well, then Peter goes off, well, if you're, you're going to wash me, you've washed everything, you wash washed my head, you wash washed my body and everything else. And... Um, 
one of the things we know about Peter is that he was an incredibly brash person. He was very impulsive. And it's almost as if in this moment, Peter, Jesus is drawing out Peter's, Peter's immaturity, Peter's sin. He's drawing it out in the process of showing him what he will do once and for all in the cross. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay that all that stuff comes out. It's okay that you feel the sting of the cleansing. Because I'm going to exchange my righteousness. I'm going to give you the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is His very character. It's His divine nature. And He wants to give it to us. That is our completion. But in the process, He's got a scrub. And the scrubbing stings. And it's a qualitatively different sting than the wounds we got in the circle of condemnation. It's qualitatively deeper healing than the affirmations we got in the circle of affirmation. It's deeper. It's richer. It's okay that it hurts. It's okay that it heals because it is our completion. Hebrews 12 tells us, don't despise it when God treats you like a son or a daughter because, because what he's doing is he's allowing you to share in the holiness of God. We don't have a share in God's nature unless he treats us as sons and daughters and takes us through a scrubbing process, takes us through the exchange where we come before the cross and we see our sin. We see that Jesus has become our sin in its most profound sense. And he, it's like a shower. It washes us and it, and, and, and it cleanses us and maybe even stings in the process. But in, in return, we get the righteousness of God. We get his white robes. We get to share in the nature of the Trinity. We get to sit at the table with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get the divine nature through the cross, through this exchange. That's what we get in the circle of transformation. Nothing more, nothing less than the very holiness of God. We're still in the presence of others, but we are huddled around the holy. It disturbs us. It stings us, it cleanses us, it completes us in a way that we cannot complete ourselves, either through performance or through affirmation. In the circle of transformation, there is hope. There is hope. There is hope that we can share in God's divine nature. There is hope that we will change. Over the course of our earthly life, we will change. There is hope that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we will live forever with God in His perfection, in His completedness, that we will become truly ourselves now and we will become truly ourselves when we meet Jesus face to face. I want to welcome you, not just to Emmanuel, but to the circle of transformation that is found within this church. There's a few different ways to step into that circle. The first way, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you have questions about the cross, questions about Jesus being Lord or being Savior, I invite you to consider the claims of Christianity. Consider the claims of Jesus. I invite you to let us know that you're doing that on your card so that we can walk with you. Or simply open up the Gospel of John and read through it. And... and, and and consider whether or not the claims of Jesus are true. Because if they are true, the promises blow away any other promises we can get from other people.
The second invitation is to baptism. This is a response. When we respond in faith to the cross, to the promise of the cross, we say, yes, God, yes, Jesus, I want you to wash me. I want you to cleanse me. And that will be pictured in this baptism. And it will be continued, the, the process of transformation will continue um, beyond the process of baptism. But we're going to be doing baptisms this year. We're a church. <laughs> this is what we do. This is what God has asked us to do. And it's a fundamental step in the process of transformation. The third thing I want to invite you to is to join a small group. If you want to taste and see what the circle of transformation will look like, will taste like, imperfectly, though it be, I invite you to join a small group. And sign-ups for that will begin today. Um, we, have, uh, we have a list that will be handed out. And uh, in these social situations, you're going to be able to pray together, read the Bible together, get to know other people. Um, it's not exactly going to be heavy, deep, and real, um, but it's going to be a chance for you to know other people at a manual and begin to practice the circle of transformation. Begin to practice the ways of God. Because in the circle of condemnation, our flaws are shamed by our critics. In the circle of affirmation, our flaws are affirmed by our fans. But in the circle of transformation, our flaws are washed by the hands of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.